hello everyone welcome to the snow day podcast it is uh it's very white and bright outside and so we are recording digitally today it's richard steve and angela as normal and um we're 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 all separated looking at each other on a screen you know getting little covid flashbacks <laughs> looking out the window looking at the snow at least it's yeah. sunny it, it it is actually beautiful right now yeah, yeah. Mm. and uh we are we're carrying on in the becoming like jesus series so we're going to be looking at another section of luke it's going to be chapter 13 today just a little bit of shorter chapter so this week we're reading a whole chapter and then talk about on Sunday and talk about it in, in our community groups. And uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a, I don't know. I, I don't want to use the word unusual. Like I need an adjective that says it's a little bit strange without sounding like it's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> there's quite a lot going on in this chapter that seems unrelated. Maybe that's the way to say it. It's like, oh, yeah. we've got a healing. We've got like a parable or two about the kingdom. We've got a warning. We've got an exhortation. Um, we've almost got a rebuke at the beginning of the chapter. It's, it's, it's quite a lot of different things. So it's, so it's really important for us to remember what's been happening throughout Luke and the, the way that Luke is telling Jesus' story and telling us the things Jesus did and taught because that helps us make sense of why Luke's putting all of this material together and saying, Hey, all of this is relevant to helping you understand the questions that have been coming up. And so, uh, that, that's the key context for us. I think is Mm. Luke's been building the tension of like Jesus being misunderstood, people having the wrong expectations of the kingdom, people, misunderstanding what it looks like to be a kingdom person to be in the kingdom or to 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 be able to even see what the kingdom's really about and what it's really like um and jesus has been warning people rebuking people um just trying to get their attention it's almost like jesus has got an agitation inside that he's really trying to sort of grab people by the shoulders and square them up and, and help them like look forward at the kingdom. You're like, look, do you see what's happening? Do you see, I know the relevance of this time of me, of what I'm saying. And, Cause ultimately he wants people to respond to the right thing in the right way. Um, I sense like he, urgency and he's yes, being more direct now and more yes. like concise to the point emotive there's some exclamation points in my bible now where there used to not yeah. be mm. yeah well and, and so and then then this chapter specific. is answering some of those things yeah and he's getting kind of specific in these examples i, I like what you said angela about this urgency because he's trying like here are some real specific things that'll help clara up these you know these questions of what to expect what um what it really looks like and the importance of uh hey i want you to get this right (laughs) i want you to understand what the king what the kingdom what i'm here for and what the kingdom looks like yeah and so it it's almost like this chapter and it's a question that's going to keep on bubbling away it's one of luke's big concerns is to is to help people understand how to rightly 
appraise and understand Jesus and respond to him and the ways that mm. people were wrongly doing that. I mean, after mm. all, Luke's gospel opens with the words of like, hey, Theophilus, I'm writing to you so you can rightly understand this whole thing about Jesus. So mm. right from the outset, yeah, okay. Luke's laid out like, hey, part of my objective in writing another gospel is to make this clear. But I think yeah. then in, in Luke 13, it can look like a bunch of unrelated things, but it is a little bit of a like a best of of the ingredients you need to rightly respond to Jesus. And actually not just to see him rightly, but we get offered a way to respond, which I think is really cool as well. So we've we've got people maybe like playing the comparative righteousness game. Like, am I better than those people? And Jesus is like that dude, that's 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 not what it's about. You've got um, people who are just living unfruitful lives and thinking life is about something else. And, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. Like, this, matter, this matters. Mm, uh, yeah. You've got sort of hypocrisy around the Sabbath and what righteousness is about. No, Jesus corrects again um, about what the kingdom's like. You know, what should our expectation of the kingdom be like? What, what should we be anticipating? Because that's going to help us spot what the Oh, that, oh, that's the kingdom over there. And Jesus, again, is providing ingredients around that. He gives the narrow door and the, like the first will be last and the last will be first. Mm. Again, it's sort of reshaping expectations about what the coming of the kingdom and people being reconciled to God and this movement of the Messiah is going to look like. And then lastly, we've got like, okay, what's God's heart to those who are not getting which is re a really important part. And I actually love that this chapter begins by talking about repentance, which is one of the tools of like, okay, if this warning or invitation or challenge is kind of grabbing hold of my heart, how do I respond? Repentance is actually a reality that makes a way for response. So we've mm. got the, the kind of practical, but then... I don't know, it's kind of like uh, saying sorry. If, if you know someone really loves you and is for you and is going to accept your sorry really well, saying sorry to them becomes a whole lot easier. So then I love that the chapter finishes with like, okay, what's God's actual heart towards the people who need to repent? Because that is the other essential ingredient to enable repentance. So there's a real beauty to the kind of, flow and the way the ingredients of this chapter fit together but it is um it is like okay we've got a couple of verses on this now a couple of verses mm. on this okay change of scene now a couple of verses about this so it's um it's quite fast paced you know richard as you said that um because th that was really helpful you know even from as i as i was reading this early i'm like well where did we just come from what did we read and what were we studying last week? How does this connect? But what you said really was helpful uh, to me. Um, and I think about um, even remember one of the things we focused on last week was this being ready. And what does yeah. readiness look like? And so I love starting with this well, repentance is, you know, almost just carrying that theme um, and mm. saying, hey, don't don't miss it. This part of being ready is repenting. Yeah, and I mean, we haven't even read any of the text yet, but no. I think okay, repentance well, we has, should do it, that. It has a bad rap, right? Repentance yeah. sounds like a bad thing to do. Mm. But actually, 
like think about parenting a child and they keep mm. making a mistake being able to say to them like hey it's possible for you to actually change that for, mm. for to be free from that for actually that the future could be different than the way it's been so far mm-hmm. and I that's love, a really good offer right it's a great offer and i love how you brought that in that parenting a child um illustration because i was just thinking as you were talking richard a few minutes ago about how chapter 13 the way i picture it is this is a moment when where jesus is down at my level on one knee taking my face in his hands as we do with our children looking at me straight Mm. in the eyes and saying okay now listen this is how Mm. it is This is what you need to do. Listen carefully, listen to what not to do, and then listen to what to do. I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to warn you about some things, but it's because I love you. And it's because I want you to choose me, choose the right thing, choose the Mm. path that leads to freedom, to salvation, to the way you were created to live. And and it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's here in 13. And then, and, and so it's, if we can, as we're studying, just think like, think of it like that. Um, and the first mm-hmm. thing is repentance, like really, um, understand where you've gone wrong and what it takes to get on the right path and why it's wrong. And then turning mm-hmm. towards me because that's the yeah. safest thing to do, not the scariest, but the safest. Yeah. And so even the way the chapter opens with repentance, it might trigger us to be like, Oh, I don't want to hear this. But if the chapter didn't open with repentance and we were just reading through a bunch of warnings with no idea, like, oh, man, I'm on the wrong side of this warning, it would be a real depressing read. (laughs) But actually with repentance at the beginning, it changes the tone of how those warnings can strike us. Um, Because then the warnings become an invitation to change rather than just condemnation. Like mm-hmm. that repentance is what makes possible the difference between conviction and condemnation. There, there's, yeah. there's hope in repentance as opposed to just here's the, 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 the warning and the condemnation and the judgment that comes with uh, things. There's no, if there's no hope. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, you'd just be left. Yeah. It's, it's mm. such a good thing. It's something we're inviting community groups to talk about mm. repentance this week. I think mm. especially people who are more Protestant, evangelical, like our tradition, our history, even the way we view the development of Christian tradition, we can be kind of anti-repentance. And, mm. and I think sometimes we look at a lot of church traditions like Roman Catholicism and, and the other traditions as well where confession is a part of their practice of spirituality, <clears throat> of worship. I'd just be like, oh man, that's ludicrous. You know, why why are you gonna like go every week and mm, confess mm. your sins? And for sure, there are some traditions where that practice either was connected to or has become connected to maybe a misunderstanding of the nature of God's forgiveness uh, and things like that. But for a lot of traditions, the regular practice of confessing our sins is actually connected to something really biblical. Like James says, 
keep confessing your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. And actually confession is invited as a regular part of our Christian life that we're supposed to be constantly aware that it's possible for us to take our sin, our brokenness, the things that are weighing on us and unburden ourselves. It, you know, it's like Paul said, put off the old self and put on the new self. Mm -hmm. Confession and repentance are ways that we put off the old self. It's a practice that we can put off the old self. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sort of, I have a soft spot for repentance in a way and confession because I feel like I understand the church history reasons why for lots of people, they hear those words and they're like, oh, we don't do that. We don't need to do that. And I think, yeah, but I, and I, I sort of get where you're coming from. I think there's a version of it that you're right to not maybe want to do, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's a version of it that's biblical and beautiful and healthy for you that you should embrace. So there's loads of room, I think, for loads of us to grow in this, you know, and the fact that it's so countercultural. Yeah. You know, we as a culture are terrible about talking to people about the things we've done wrong. I mean, we are abominable at it, right? Uh, they're like the worst. Think about if you're like a manager employee situation, like oh, I've got a, you know, how's your dad? I've got a terrible conversation, a really hard conversation to have with someone. Those hard conversations are normally, I'm going to have to talk to someone about something they did wrong. Why is that mm -hmm. so hard for us? You know, so culturally, mm -hmm. it's really hard for us. So I just think this is such an amazing growth area for us, which is that then excites me. Like, oh, I, this is where, like, as Jesus people, we could be countercultural. We could lean into like a good, beautiful, holistic version of this practice that would actually be radically different from our world and would heal some of like our our culture, like our cultural practices. So I think there's an offer of something really exciting in this chapter as well. Should we actually look I, at the chapter? Because that's about 15 let, minutes let's, of, uh, let's of not do even that. getting to it. <laughs> uh, Maybe this, so is the, this is the danger, man. Like when it's digital, we can't like gesture to our Bible and be like, okay, come on, guys, we need, we need to. <laughs> <laughs> we our job is to actually look other. at this chapter. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so so uh, but let's we'll talk more maybe i i'm thinking that one of the questions is like okay how do you repent then what's the practice look like but it yeah, does crop up in the beginning of the chapter here so let's look at the mm, beginning of the mm. chapter and that, but i want to just say that out loud because uh, i think that's a really important question um yeah. to, to understand how to do it and so so it's interesting the beginning beginning of this chapter um there's some people with jesus and he tells them about basically some people who had a terrible reputation. They'd, uh, they kind of, um, at their death, um, it almost been like a, a sacrilegious, like anathematizing of these people of rejecting them. The pilot had mingled, um, the blood of these Galileans with their sacrifices. So there's a sort of socio-political um, tension point, but it, it's about these uh, Galileans um, and uh, that this tower fell on them and killed them. Mm -hmm. And the people are basically asking that they're viewing a tragic death 
and their death sort of it looks like a sort of divine judgment and then they i don't know for for the jews like what happens to your body after death was really important mm. so it, it it's just like man these people it just seems like god killed them and then made sure that it, it is kind of like what they used to do to heretics or witches where they would like burn them and then scatter their ashes on a river so that it was like we just want to completely erase the possibility of you know this person's influence uh, or memory mm. or or anything like that so so they they were viewing these people and saying you know were, were these like worse sin- sinners than other people because of what what they suffered not just the way they died but what happened after their death uh, and so it's really interesting people like why are people asking this question it, it, it's like something shocking has happened and people have suffered i mean goodness we could do a whole podcast about the suffering mean mm-hmm. that someone's a bad person um, you know it, it but, this... but maybe, maybe we don't need to do a whole podcast but jesus's answer is basically no <laughs> so yeah. it's very clear so well, what were you gonna about... say angela oh yeah yeah just like as i'm i'm just going through it and you know, it, to me, it looks like, and correct me if I'm wrong, a whole lot of finger pointing here. Um, like, look, at, you know, look what they did wrong. Look at wh- what do you think of them? Aren't they horrible? Um, and he's just cause he just asked them to say, no, it's unless you repent, you too will all perish. Um, he's turning it right back on on them. And the lesson that we can learn about like how in our lives do we do finger pointing? Like, you know, I may not be a perfect Christian, but at least I'm not as bad as they are. You know, God surely will look on me more favorable, say favorably than, than them over there next door, whoever. And, and that is, that is the wrong attitude to have. We are all equally sinners. Um, It's, it's this sin of comparison as well. Um, to really yeah. be careful not to do that. Um, he addressed the disciples er- earlier in Luke about that. Um, but this is all this, these are people outside the inner circle now. And, and, um, and they're, you know, we're all equally sinners, I guess yeah. is what is just really coming out. We all equally need to repent, not some of us more than yeah. others. And, it, and what Jesus says then elevates the need for repentance, that it's mm. universal and it's mm-hmm. something we all desperately need, right? Yeah. 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 It makes yeah. me think of like the, the way they're thinking about righteousness is what makes you righteous is avoiding some evils. Mm. And, and I think we still have that in our society today. People think that's what righteousness is, you know, and you could sub another word for righteousness. Like what's, what's a just person? What's a good person? You know, mm. someone who avoids mm. a certain set of evils. And um, and we have some that in our culture and in our like Christian subculture that mm-hmm. are like the taboo ones. So it's like mm-hmm. taking drugs, mm-hmm. sleeping around, um, you know, uh, like cultural ones that have grown more in the foreground is like maybe the way that we treat uh, the marginalized. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, so we have some mm-hmm. things, some values about avoiding evils, but one of the key verses in scripture uh, as a definition of righteousness is anyone who knows the good that they could do and doesn't do it. 
that is a sin. And it turns it on its head and righteousness becomes not about the avoidance of evil, but the pursuit of the good. And Jesus and God then become the model of like, just how good are you talking about? And and it's really high. And it's, it's interesting because it has a twofold effect on me. One is just to realize, oh, <laughs> I got a lot more sins than I thought I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my, my awareness of the need for repentance goes up. But it's it's a lot more exciting especially understanding that god knows me and is content to take me on a journey of growing me towards that goodness that um that he's going to sh- keep showing me more good and then teaching me how to do it like that sounds like an adventure an exploration of the good that's sort of exciting and invitational Whereas the storyline that's just about like, oh, well, these are the evils, you know, you're going to wrestle with them. And if you even think about them, you're probably a bad person. And, you know, you just need to feel bad about yourself. It, there's just there's a version of it that just. I don't know, it, it doesn't motivate me in anything like the same way. And I, I, I'm then I'm really thankful that I think the, the biblical version like the way the Bible talks about righteousness, it does still say like that's evil. You should avoid that. It does still say that's that's a bad thing. Make sure you don't do it. But it includes this other part, and that holistic, more exciting version is the biblical one, which is fantastic because the other one just sounds again really depressing. Yeah, it's the biblical one is is hope. You know, hope for yeah. for the possibilities of what it truly looks like for me to step into that flourishing kingdom life that God has available to me. And yeah. that's part of repentance. And so this section finishes with, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So the same, he's saying, hey, the same sort of tragic, oh, how bad must it be? How terrible must it be that they're sort of projecting on those people? Jesus is saying, if you don't repent, you're going to end up thinking of yourself the same way. So it's a real yeah. stark warning about the the need for repentance. Um, and, and then this chapter is going to go on with a bunch more warnings and we'll keep pointing back to this beginning and be like, Oh look how repentance would be a way to change. Mm. So, so maybe we should talk about the nature and the practice of repentance because then that'll help us understand why it's a key that unlocks the response to lots of the things that follow here. Um, I, I, um, maybe like uh, one of the misunderstandings is repentance is just, feeling sorry about something like feeling bad about something right Mm -hmm. um that doesn't unlock very much that that raises a different awareness in us of something but it doesn't always lead to change about something i i've got plenty of things in my life i've wrestled with over the long term and felt bad about all along the way feeling bad it was not a key that unlocked much (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, it no, was something you in just the pit. Went, yeah it went along with the battle um yeah 
So repentance is more than just feeling bad about something. That's that's the classic. Um, again, like parenting is a classic window on this because if you're a parent you will have seen it in your kids if you're not a parent you might remember as a kid <laughs> like <laughs> oh yeah i did i did that yeah right yeah um and and there's that kind of like why are you saying sorry you know are you saying sorry because you want to avoid the consequence or because you're really sorry are you saying sorry because you want to make yourself feel better and because you feel bad or because you actually want to make the actual situation better you know right so there's these sort of distinguishing you know that that five letter word sorry could be misused in so many different ways i feel like it's one of the really interesting battle i don't know if you guys had this we'll throw all our kids under the bus but i think it's all all of us like we had the same battle when we were kids i think it's all kids it's so hard to teach your kids how to use the word sorry rightly mm-hmm. did you find that yeah, and yeah. probably I experienced that. Uh, I know, I definitely, I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> Took yeah. me a long time I, to figure out. <laughs> I, I remember, though, something uh, that my dad would say from time to time uh, when my brothers and I would get in a fight, and it would be, you know, he could sit us down and say you're sorry to your brother, and you would. You know, he Mm -hmm. could compel us to say it, but like his heart was, and I think this is the father's heart here. God's heart for us is like, he doesn't want us to say, just say we're sorry and sort of go through that, but to be sorry and to be sorry, you know, has an, you know, this, my dad always impressed upon me, this implication of this, um, uh, trans transformation of recognizing, you know, that I did wrong but then move from it to move into that spot of oh to be sorry means like i'm going to i'm going to be changed and i'm going to mm-hmm. um try to make things right it, it's more than just this expression um which again he like i said like we can sit our kids down and say tell your brother tell your sister you're sorry you yeah. know? and and they'll do it you know but yeah. that's not what we our goal is we would often use the phrase uh, like sorry means I won't do that again, mm-hmm. which is a commitment that often we fail to keep, but it's still an expression of a commitment. And I think yeah. it's different to saying sorry means I don't want to do that again. That's the kind of I feel bad about it. I wish it didn't happen again, but it probably will. But mm-hmm. repentance is a change of commitment. I think. I think it's almost yeah, like yeah. that's good. We, we build awareness that there's something within us that we've got like our hands around. Maybe it's a habit of responding to something. Maybe it's an attitude or a way we think about something. And um, we've got our hands around it as, as a tool. It's a way we operate. It's a way we interact with the world or, or process things or do things. And repentance is like, it, it builds awareness that the thing we've got our hands around, actually, we, we wish we didn't, that it's a bad thing, that it's, it's dysfunctional or sinful or it doesn't work. And repentance is a sort of twofold commitment of like, okay, I'm going to take my hands off that. With all of the grace and all of the recognition that actually 
removing our hands from it may be a long journey that God's going to walk us through and teach mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. But it's a commitment. It's an actual releasing of it and saying, I'm going to actually push that away. Like, I don't want my hands around that. But it's also an opening our hands to Jesus and saying, what should my hands be around instead? Mm. And, I, and I think sometimes we already know, and it's a commitment to put our hands around it. But sometimes we're not sure. We're not sure what the different way is. And it really is just an open-handed submission to God to say, show me what else to put my hands around. Show mm-hmm. me what else, how else to do this. Would you teach me? But it's it's a real expression of like faith-filled um, submission. And it, it's really interesting because that, that ingredient is so important. This marks the difference between the kind of commitments that are, that's a sort of, I wish in the future I was different, like a New Year's uh, kind of, what do they call it? Resolution. Resolution. Yeah, yeah, New, Year's yeah New Year's resolution. Yeah, yeah. This is actually, repentance is actually not just interacting with self, but interacting with God. Mm-hmm. It, it's an acknowledgement before God. Hey, God. And actually verbalizing it. Like, God, mm-hmm. I keep lying about my timekeeping. And it's a mm-hmm. reflex I have and a tool I use to try and like protect the way people see me and it's not good. I take my hands off it. Mm. I, I just, I reject that. I acknowledge what it is before you, but Jesus, I don't know what it is that I can do differently. Would you show me? And it's, it's actually an invitation of God into the thing. And, and it's actually mm. that divine interaction that God enters the conversation, that his power enters the scenario that makes such a big difference between repentance and confession and, it's, and, and, it's, and, and a resolution. And actually repentance is like, it's the fullness of confession because confession is, I, this is wrong. I did it. You know, I, I think of like those prayers of confession in the liturgy of lots of churches. Like I've sinned before you, and myself and my fellow man. It's it's sort of acknowledgments of what's wrong. But repentance does involve a kind of, and I'm putting it down, and I'm inviting you, God, to redirect me away from it and to show me what to move towards. And mm. a key piece of that, I think, is as we invite God, I remember he's the all-powerful, all-knowing sovereign Lord who can change my heart. So we might not even know what we're asking as we're putting down and opening our hands up to him. All we need to do is recognize we need him and ask him to fill us with what we need in order to not have that wrong thinking about that person again, or say those words that we didn't mean again, Mm -hmm. or, you know, lie or whatever it is, um, just ask him to, to fill us, to change our heart, to keep us away from yeah. doing that. And and yeah. he'll change, he'll change our needs, our wants, our desires. Um, and uh, he'll actually cause us to hold our tongue at certain points. I mean, I've experienced this firsthand and it's, yeah. it's not that we have to have it all figured out and then go to God in order to ask him to, to change us. We just have to know who to go to. Um, and how how empty we are without him 
Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for me, as it, um, as we're talking about that, it puts that, that first John one nine passage into a different light. Cause that says, right. If we confess our sins. So that's the first part mm-hmm. confession of it. And then it says he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's to me, there's those two parts of confession, sort of our need as well as our changed condition, which can't happen unless he's invited in to it. Um, and that repentance is sort of, as you talked about that, Richard, this, this invitation for God, for us to do our part, which is stepping in and confessing, sort of acknowledging our need and where we've gone wrong. But then it's also, he's saying, and I'll come in and help fix that. Yes. Um, and I think the way it gets fixed the way you were talking about Angela, it, Angela reminds me, I think there's times when I've invited God to change something. I've repented. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, that's changed. I don't really notice mm-hmm. how. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just mm-hmm. the subtle work yeah. of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But sometimes repentance is pursued. A moment like mm-hmm. a prayer of repentance initiates a conversation of seeking Jesus about something. And it can be quite conscious and active. It can involve mm. talking to people, being like, Man, yeah. I think I think I need help with this. I want accountability or I need to find somebody who's wiser than me to help me process this or give mm-hmm. me suggestions mm-hmm. or there's all sorts of things. Or I'm going to search scriptures, like has God got anything to show me about this? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can also be really active. But yeah. that's why I think habits of persistent repentance mm-hmm. can be so healthy for us to have in our Mm. persistent prayers a kind of regularity of inviting the question, Jesus, is there anything I need to repent of? Mm. Because we're not always aware. (laughs) Our self-awareness is a constant battle. And God is teaching us and showing us new things. Like, you didn't know this a year ago, but now actually Mm. I've Mm. shown you that that's actually a good thing you didn't do that, that you've seen there. You know, there's growth. But also the regularity helps us continue the active conversations that we need to as we try to figure out what to put our hands around. Mm. And and so it, that's where it becomes sad to me that repentance has become a kind of occasional thing we might do when we are having like a sin crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is actually way more interested with the little things. And and maybe we are like these people at the beginning of this chapter where we only do the repentance thing around the big things because we don't realize how much the little things matter too. Mm. Mm. And, and, you know, because so, we're actually playing the comparative righteousness game as well. Yeah. Like that yeah. sin crisis, man, I need to like go pray and repent on Sunday. Like I blew it this week. But actually, that's just being like these guys. But, oh, yeah, the other things, well, you know, they're not that big. You know, I'm better than most people are in that area, so that's not worth repenting over. That's where we're making their mistake, right? Right. Or do we even internally, are you you saying that's you, we sometimes internally sort of prior to our category, sorry, force rank our own sins, if you will, mm. and say, ah, these are ones that I need to get after these are small enough. Yeah. 
and we're doing the same thing yeah. that he's commenting on. And I think some mm. sins are more serious than other sins. Mm. But mm. Uh, so that's that is a thing. But I just know in my own experience, there's been things that I just haven't worried about or been concerned about that then as I've grown more mature and closer to Jesus, I've been like, oh, I wish I'd cared about that. And so I I can feel the tendency to minimize things. And it's often the things that I'm still like, but generally better than the average person in my culture. Right. Mm. Like that's, it's not a conscious thought process, but it's a habit of the framework I use to help me judge what things are worth paying attention to about myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I pay attention to the extremes. I pay attention to the ways I'm much better than people or much worse than people. Mm. And that's what these guys were doing. Mm. And those small sins of wrong thinking for a moment are really the gateway to big sin. And it's, we can slip mm. into just a habit of, of, of just like, you know, we'll take one of just like a little white lie, but then you turn into a liar all the time because you get away with the little one. And now you're, 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 you're committing some huge sin that can, can affect so many people. And, and it's yeah. just, it's the gateway. It's like the little sins yeah. are the gateway drug to the, to the big ones. And, and um, I think, I think that's why Jesus cares so much about the little things and even mm-hmm. more. Do you think the converse is true as well, that engaging in repentance about some of the small things can be a gateway to growth in the bigger yeah. things as well? Yes. I, I think That's I've seen one. that in my life as well a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the first four verses. We got let's five. Pack, we got let's, five in there. Let's pack <laughs> a little bit more of this, okay? But repentance is okay. a good one. I think there's not... That's a good one to camp on for a little bit because it we is. don't all understand yeah. what that yeah. means. So, yeah. And and all of that chat we've had about that now, I, I think what we can do is look at the little episodes mm-hmm. flowing in this chapter and the repentance is going to help us understand what to do with things. So, so like the next bit is a little parable about someone's planted a tree in a vineyard and they came looking to find fruit and uh, there was none. And they said to the, the well, it says vine dresser, but for us it'd be like the gardener, you know, the landscape mm-hmm. person. Um, like, man, I've been waiting for fruit for three years on this tree. There's there's none. Cut it down. Why should it take up the ground? So it, it's fruitfulness matters. And where there's not fruitfulness, like because God really cares about fruitfulness, he may supplant that with something else. Um uh, but then it's really interesting to hear the heart of response, which is the possibility of change. Well, okay, leave it alone. Let's like dig around it and fertilize it. And then let's see what it does this next year. So it's the extension of patience and like another chance to bear fruit. So this just reeks of like the way God might interact with us around repentance. Yet God's heart is not, we blow it, and God says, you're out, you're done, you're benched. 
But actually, this, if we, if like, we have that realization, God may, might be like, I'm going to fertilize you. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to dig around you. I'm going to, I'm going to work and let's see what happens. I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah. And repentance is a way we get to interact with that chance. So this is like, it's a massive stark warning of like, I don't want to be cut down. Like, I don't, I don't want God in his kingdom and his grand scheme of how he wants to build partnerships with humans and entrust the work to people and send his spirit to work in people. I don't want to be like a bit of barren ground in the kingdom that God says, I, I'm going to take those resources and, and use them somewhere else. I, like, I don't want that. That's like a, that's a stark warning, but also, wow, I'm so surprised that if I found myself being like, you know what, I'm barren ground, that God's heart would be, you know, I want to fertilize you and give you a chance, right? The, mm. It's such an offer of something. Um, it, it, it really, in the world, we don't have many interactions like this. Like, you know, if, if your boss, you know, comes to you and says like, hey, you've been working on this project for three years. Like, yeah, I've basically done nothing. Yeah, he's not being like, well, just yeah, try for another year. Um, <laughs> like that's not happening, right? This is or like even, so gracious. Yeah, it is, and even like in our culture, it, cancel culture is so prevalent. And and just like if something's not working for you, someone friendship's not working, just move on. You know, if someone said yeah. something mean to you, forget it. I'm I'm gonna you know delete them. I'm gonna block them. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna follow them anymore. And that's not the heart of Jesus. It's not his heart yeah. right here. Yeah. So, so that, so we, we're going to have to like book it and keep moving here. <laughs> yeah. So next up, we've got, um, he's teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And this is one of these interesting ones where this happens so often that it's beginning to sound like a broken record and all the stories of Jesus versus the religious leaders on the Sabbath are kind of blurring together. This is another time, but it often happened. The religious leaders had one idea of what the Sabbath was for and what it looked like to keep it. And Jesus was often active in the synagogue on the Sabbath because he was a rabbi. Mm -hmm. He was a teacher. He was interacting with people that way. So it was a frequent tension point, and here we've got it again. He heals someone. And so, just to um, just so to orient everybody that's listening, kind of the exact healing that he does here, right? We've got a crippled woman, yeah, right, um, who can't stand up. Uh, she was been crippled for eighteen years, bent over, and could not straighten up at all. Jesus sees her, called her forward, and said woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Um, and then, then we see the reaction. Uh, but yeah, that same thing. And I love the, the reason I, I, I don't know, to read that too, is I, I see as well in here, you know, Jesus is actively stepping forward and, you know, he's putting his hand on this woman, um, you know, calls her forward and immediately she's healed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think that's you know, beautiful there. But, you know, to you said, as you were saying, um, the, we, this is another case where the, um, 
the the Pharisees there, the synagogue leaders are like, wait a minute, that's wrong. This is the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing that. There's six other days you can work. Come back. And I mean, even their language is just ridiculous. So come back and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of, what? You really said that? Yeah. But it's it's this thing of like, they had an idea of what the Sabbath was for. Yeah. So, so here's here's like a personal story. I got an object lesson in this type of thing, um, and so when I was like really young in Jesus, and I was a worship leader, and uh, just like in a small church, like a church plant, you know, maybe fifty people, really small, and leading worship, and there was a a guy, like a homeless guy, who came to the church, and he had Tourette's. Uh, but he enjoyed coming to church. He came like a lot of Sundays and people were trying to get to know him, trying to take care of him, feed him, things like this. But in the middle of worship, he kind of gets triggered and and actually, um, you know, starts like having that sort of uncontrollable shouting. And some of it is like swearing obscenity, you know, um, uh, and I just didn't know what to do. I, I didn't have a box for how to respond. Because yeah. the t- what this time was for was like singing, focusing on Jesus. Like it was for some, and I just, I didn't know how to interact with that situation. The next week we had like a guest guy traveling through. He was like a seasoned worship leader, musician, songwriter, um, uh, you know, and he's leading worship. And the guy's there that week as well, and he gets triggered. He didn't get triggered every Sunday, but he gets triggered again. And um, he just took it in his stride. He like he fall, mm. he, he he seamlessly transitioned from singing the song to praying for him, to inviting people to help him, to asking him how like how are you doing, to interacting mm. with him as if it was one on one, despite the fact that it's in the middle of a room, and then like mm. through like people caring for him, taking care of him back into worship because he had a box for what the time could be for. And that's, the, wow. that's the, I think that's the interesting way that the indignancy of the leaders relates to all these warnings Jesus has been giving. It's yeah. like you got to understand what time is for. And actually they should. And, and the sad thing here is we're getting an example of non-repentance. Because it, it finishes by saying they were put to shame. So they were ashamed of what they'd done. Mm. And the people, like some of the other people, rejoiced. So on, on this challenge of expectation, they were on the wrong side and some other people on the right side. But they could have repented and, and changed. But instead of repentance, they were indignant. They mm. got defensive. When the challenge came, they they would rather protect their sense of righteousness, which was so valuable to them, rather than let their hands off it and grab a hold of actually a truer, deeper sense of righteousness that actually would have been more valuable to them. So there's something really tragic going mm-hmm. on here um, mm-hmm. in the failure of repentance. And I love how earlier you were talking about, you know, repentance is letting go of something and then re- of yourself and and receiving something of God. And in this case, 
I like they're not letting go of themselves and their pride and um, mm-hmm. oh shame on them right but no is that not us right yeah I just think like we have to be careful when we read these and read ourselves into all sides of the story of course um, yeah but that's convicting to me yeah sure. definitely well after this Luke gives us a couple of Jesus's kingdom parables which is really interesting. So it is another twist on expectation because what people expected was for the kingdom of God to be a sudden revolution where God would establish localized people of God, kingdom of God, divine power in Israel. And what Jesus actually paints the picture of is of slow growth that is much bigger than you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so he's countering some, so so the two pictures, one is the mustard seed that becomes a great tree. Um, And the other is of a bit of leaven, a bit of yeast. Um, Although for them, they didn't have like yeast in a jar like we do. It would have been more like sourdough starter, but a little bit Mm -hmm. of starter that actually will spread through the whole, the whole of the dough. Yeah, you know, which is amazing. Like the way uh, the way I do my pizza dough, because uh, when we do pizza, we don't mess around. We make like pounds and pounds and pounds of dough. Because you know, why wouldn't you? But the the way I do it is, I actually let it rise for two days. So I I can have I don't know how many cups of flour it'd be, like a dozen, fifteen, eighteen cups of flour, right? And I put literally a pinch of yeast. It's like 0.1 of a gram of yeast in there. But mm-hmm. the next morning, the whole thing's filled with bubbles. Mm. And so I I, 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 every time I make pizza, though, I am reminded of this. Like, it's always surprising to me that that little bit can spread to actually, you know, eat all the flour, mm. <laughs> you know, in such a yeah. short space of time. But the, the other interesting detail to me is not just that the, the kingdom grows and its growth is surprising, but especially with the tree, it's the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. Because some of those birds are clean, but some of them are unclean. So it's also, it's, there's a surprising nature about the, the kingdom with, within its purview within who's being influenced by it. It's not like a sacred kingdom of utter purity and holiness. Mm. It's a kingdom that also contains some mixture, which I think is really interesting because that actually interacts again with the idea of repentance. That, that just because we find ourselves within the kingdom shouldn't mean that we presume a whole bunch about our cleanness. But actually, there's the possibility of more repentance, more growth, more change within the kingdom. And there might be some people being influenced Mm. by the kingdom who are not like they haven't crossed the boundary line into like a a submitting to Jesus as Lord relationship an acknowledging of God relationship yet. You know, but the but the kingdom of Mm. God sort of has blurry lines. And so those blurry lines that's where like grace operates. That's where discovery and exploration operates. And that's where repentance operates. 
So I think that's a sort of interesting little detail given the repentance conversation. Because if, if the kingdom of God was like black and white, no, you know, clear boundary lines, um, repentance would be a little bit of a weird concept. It would be something you only do once to get in the kingdom. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I feel like this so is a really sort of interesting nuanced connection here that we don't have time to talk about, but there's what, Richard, I, I what, what some of what's going on in Luke's mind as he's seeing the way what Jesus said here connects to what Jesus said about repentance. Is he saying um, that that's an interesting? Because when I think of the birds perched in the perched on these branches, like you said, that can be clean birds and um, unclean birds, but that also uh, that could mean even ourselves. Like, hey, we're not complete yet as yeah. we're in the kingdom we've got more repentance to do but also I, I perhaps i see this as as his kingdom's expanding it's going to have influence into places that um we might consider they haven't even begun their journey <laughs> um, yeah. but we might be as part of his kingdom you know in there um and have influence and impact yeah uh, it, mm. it puts a little bit of pressure on the classic definition of the kingdom is like where God's power mm. and presence are um, mm. sort of bringing that, bringing that influence to bear. Mm. Um, and, and, and we think of whose influence. So I think sometimes we think, yeah, the kingdom of God is all the people that God has drawn. But this is like all mm. the people God has drawn and all the people God is drawing and some of the people God is trying to draw or use, but may never actually respond. They've all mm. got some sort of interaction with the kingdom of God. So the king, the kingdom mm. of God, it's it, it's just like it's got a blurry boundary line, you know. Mm. And when you when you say exciting. the term when you say the term blurry boundary line, though, I got a little bit worried because yeah. it sounds uncertain to me. Um, yeah. Unpack that. In, in a way yeah, that but, brings but, me I mean, comfort, Richard. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we bump into that a lot of times, right? We have yeah. people who it's like, man, I, I feel like they're interacting with Jesus and Jesus is doing something, but I just don't know if they belong to Jesus yet. I'm mm. not sure what to make. I'm not sure how to judge that person's spirituality, that person's relationship with God. It's blurry to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is sometimes. Uh, you know, as yeah. as much as because I because I think we have focused in the modern West, not about creating discipleship, uh, sorry, creating disciples, but about creating converts. So we have much more of a model for salvation as a moment of conversion, whereas the New Testament has some moments of conversion, but it also has a paradigm for a journey of discipleship. Like I think about like my own journey towards Jesus. I think there were moments of realization, but where among those moments of realization and response to Jesus, did I actually submit to him? Cause I think getting mm-hmm. to a point where someone maybe talked to me and I said, yeah, I'm submitted to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was an acknowledgement that I'd been converted, but there wasn't a moment in the journey where I actually converted. I looked back and realized God had shown me so much 
that I just viewed him, myself and the world differently now. And I, I just found myself in a different reality. And oh, so, cool. yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people have that experience. And sometimes people worry like, oh, I, I, I feel like I should have experienced something like the Philippian jailer on his knees. Well, like, what mm-hmm. must I do to be saved? And then right there in that moment, submitting to Jesus. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't always look like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think it gives me comfort a little bit just in so far as thinking, hey, the, um, this, like you said, the blurry lines, uh, like the kingdom is a little bit messy uh, in, in that regards uh, that there's an ongoing journey yeah. for me. Um, there's more for me. Yeah. Um, there's more for people I love. There's more uh, for everybody. Or even not attributing just to people, but to things in the mm. world, right? Yeah. Like, oh, there's um, what's happening at, um, is it Aysbury Seminary? Yeah. Where people yeah. are people are coming and actually traveling to experience this some like a beautiful moment of corporate worship and prayer and uh responding to, to Jesus, which is really beautiful. And like, is that a kingdom thing? Yeah, that really looks like a kingdom thing. We can attribute it. But then think about something else. Uh, and I can't think of a modern example, but like the way Pharaoh acted towards the Israelites. We know because the scripture tells us that God was a part of influencing Pharaoh's heart. He mm-hmm. he knew how to interact with Pharaoh and press his buttons to bring about what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Were all Pharaoh's decisions a kingdom thing? Well, we know because scripture gives us the insight it was a kingdom thing. But I can almost guarantee you at the time those Israel Israelites did not feel like it was a kingdom thing. Yeah. And I think in the same way, sometimes we see stuff happening like a politician doing something or a, a nonprofit that's maybe not a Christian nonprofit, but we're like, man, is Jesus like inspiring that person or, or like a musician writing a piece of music about something. And we're like, it's like, is God showing them this? I just don't understand mm-hmm. how a human by themselves could catch. Is it a kingdom mm-hmm. thing or not? Like mm-hmm. we, we feel more sure of ourselves attributing kingdom things where we can tick a set of boxes are things that help us recognize kingdom things. And that's okay. It's good that we can, it's good that we have those tools. But I think what this parable challenges us to is like, there may be a lot more kingdom things than you realize. That's good. Yeah. So the blurry lines, they're really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Well, let's talk about the narrow door. Okay. So then, Okay. The narrow door is the next uh, little picture Jesus paints. And um, it is someone, and this is really interesting, it shows people are listening to Jesus's warnings and everything that's been going down right, in Jesus's ministry because they say to him, Lord, will those who be saved be few? So they've been yeah, thinking, so like, hang on a second here. Like, so what's, what's going to happen? They're actually asking a good open-handed question um, here, I think. Um, and he says, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And so we're sort of invited to compare, like there's lots of people 
everyone wants to go through a door. There's a narrow door, but maybe there's like a wide door or just a wall you can bang your head against, you know. But but actually the possibility of being saved here, it is a narrow door. There'll be lots of people who miss it. And so, which given that Jesus is talking about all of these things with people about, man, you guys are missing it here, you're missing it here. It's another log on the fire of watch out that you don't miss it. So this is a continuing theme in Luke here. Um, but then the, the the picture he paints, you know, it goes on like when the, um, yeah, if you, if you didn't get through the door, when the master arises and has shut the door, there'll be people stood outside saying, Lord, open to us. So they know to they know to say Lord and they, they want the door opened, but he'll say, mm-hmm. like, I don't know you or where you come from. And so so mm-hmm. they 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 kind of have missed the opportunity to go through the door, but then in that moment of them recognizing, like, oh now I see where the door is, could you open it again? Um and, and they'll say, like, man, we we ate and drank it, like we partied with you, you know, you taught in our streets, which which is profound for the people around Jesus he's been warning, who did eat with him. He did teach in their streets, like the people he's warning experienced these things. And Jesus is saying to them, like, hey, some of you guys who've had dinner with me, some of you guys who followed me around the last three towns and listened to me teach and were like, man, it's like I, I really, really will love listening to this guy that doesn't mean that you're saved. Like just because you follow me on Instagram does not mean that you're saved. Like you've actually got to enter through the narrow door. And so imagining Jesus' setting and the way that this warning like attaches to the people around him, I think is such a vivid picture of of Jesus warning these people. Um, And so Richard, uh, I got, let's get the end of the story out as well. Right. Just hold that thought. All right. Because then the the people who were like, yeah, we partied with you. We followed you on Instagram. You know, we we followed all your teachings. Yeah. We went to your church, you know, effectively, like we were there every Sunday, Jesus. Um, He will say to them who, who they did, they were around it, but didn't go through the door. Um, like you're a worker of, of evil and you need to depart from me. And those people mm. will be upset. They'll weep, they'll gnash their teeth. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be frustrated. They'll be angry, you know? And mm. so it, it's a real interesting, not just interesting. I, I don't even know the adjective. I mean, there's warnings and there's warnings, like to be yeah, told you're a worker so of iniquity stark. and you're going to be yeah, stark. I this mean, that's sobering, a kind of slap in the face warning. Yeah, sobering. Yeah. And then it, it kind of finishes with the some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Yeah. And we tend to like Christianize that phrase. But in this moment, it's clear that there are some who think that in terms of righteousness, they're near the front of the queue. Because, you know, the Tower of Siloam didn't fall on them. We're better mm-hmm. than most people, you know, or we're a religious leader or we, whatever, all these people around Jesus. And Jesus is like, you might think you're near the front of the queue, but you're at the back of the queue. And mm-hmm. some of the people who are actually at the front of the queue, 
other people like this woman who came to be healed on the Sabbath. You think she's at the back of the queue, but actually she's at the front of the queue. She's mm. nearer the narrow door than you are. So it's a, it's a really uh, multifaceted picture. But when we sort of um, imagine the scenes around Jesus that Luke's been telling us about, it really fleshes out what he's saying here, I think. Okay, I, I cut you well, off, my, Steve. What were you going to say? Well, my question was, let's let's think about this as well in the context of repentance and, and what is how's repentance playing into this yeah. as well? Yeah. Well, because I, that's where it's so important that that stark warning opens with, hey, yes. there's a narrow door. If Jesus had just said, hey, there's going to be some of you that I'm just going to end up saying, like, you're with me, but I'm going to tell you um, you're a worker of iniquity. I would Mm. just be left thinking, oh, no, is it me? But the Mm. same people he's saying, this is possible. I could end up saying that to you. He's also saying you, though, should strive to enter the narrow door. That means that door is open and you can find it the possibility of that not being your destiny is alive, but it's going to require a change. And mm. any time it's like, okay, there needs, there needs to be a change, but it's not happening by my own power, but it's something spiritual. I'm just thinking, okay, this sounds a lot like the, the dynamics of repentance are going to be in play. It's like, it's the, it's different words, but some of the same ingredients in play. It's I'm I'm stubbing my toe on this verse uh, 24 it says because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And I keep coming back to. Yeah. OK, connect this for us then, Richard, with repentance, repentance. They try and they'll not be able to. They'll not be able to because of them or because of God's response to them. How, why won't they be able to and how will they try? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's because they're um, it's it's not that they're seeking the narrow door and not able to. It's that they're seeking to enter, but they're doing it the wrong way. The words here are really important. Oh, it's okay, a okay. strive yeah. to mm. enter through the narrow door, and then there are mm. many who will seek to enter but not be able. So think again Mm. about like the classic religious leader that's been in the paragraph before, right? They're seeking Mm -hmm. to enter, but instead Mm -hmm. of entering through the narrow door, they're seeking to enter by this kind of self-righteousness, a legalization Mm -hmm. of like Sabbath ritual, uh, by by their own version Mm. of what they think is the way to enter. And because they are locked on their own way of trying to enter, it's like, but you're because you're hyper focused on trying to enter that way, you're completely missing that actually what you're what you're facing is a wall and th- there's there's no opening in it. You need to go find the that's awesome. Door. Okay, so they yeah. will not be able to enter because they made their own door and they're not going through Jesus. Right, and that's, that's such a good question because I I I've had conversations with people. I'm sure you have too, where they're like. Matt, I really want to be saved. I want a relationship with Jesus, but I know I'm a mess. Like, am I going to be one of those people that tries to be saved, tries to put my faith in Jesus, but fails, right? 
because then that does like that makes it about not are we knocking mm. on the right door but okay i know jesus is the door but what do i have to do to get through it mm. right striving mm-hmm. to enter here is not about our power to get through the door the strive to enter is the invitation to find the door that mm. door is jesus he's the way oh, the truth yeah. and the life right that's good. getting through that's the door good. is not hard like faith like faith the size of a mustard seed is enough like that that weak terror like the centurion i believe lord help my unbelief there's all mm-hmm. of these partial weak like inadequate expressions of faith in the new testament and jesus keeps on meeting them with okay i'll do something mm-hmm. and i'll keep teaching you and we'll keep journeying forward our weakness at like stumbling over the threshold and like falling on our butt on the other side of the door be like, am I in? Am I okay? Like, that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, Jesus will pick us up, dust us off and be like, yeah, like you found the narrow door. That's you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like now oh, it's about okay. my workmanship in you. And, yeah. and, and, and it's his power that becomes the important thing. Because that's that's the sort of thing. I mean, this door image, we're kind of mixing some pictures and scripture here. But like in Revelation, Jesus pictures like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If -hmm. anyone opens to me, I'll come in and dine with them. So Mm. we can kind of put that image together with this one and imagine in our mind's eye, like I found the narrow door and I know it's Jesus. Jesus is stood at the door reaching his hand out saying grab a hold of me i'll grab a hold of you i'll pull you through the doorway you found Mm. the door you know like god's power is in operation but for the people who are not looking striving to enter through the door but but striving in other ways you know they're just you know that they're in the wrong place to encounter that kind of interaction with jesus Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That's, thank you. I've never heard it explained that way. Yeah. And um, that's really, really helpful. Yeah. There's such yeah. hope. Yeah. Cause it, then it, it takes, it breathes a bit of life into the stark warning. You know, it, if we're, I don't know. It, it, it does it does breathe hope because then like G- jesus wants to reveal himself he sent the holy spirit to reveal mm-hmm. jesus and jesus's truth to us to convict us of sin mm-hmm. you know it's like god is on the side of trying to reveal the narrow door um mm-hmm. but so there is hope but i don't want to lose the starkness i i think it, it it's it's the kind of warning that should make us examine ourselves because yeah, stop in our some tracks. of the people, some sure. of the people he's saying, like you're you're striving, but you're not striving for the narrow yeah. door. Yeah, they were mm. around Jesus. They went for dinner with Jesus. They listened to Jesus teach. They watched him do miracles, and Jesus is going to end up saying, "I don't know you. Mm-hmm. I don't have a relationship with you." And this is where, like, the knowledge, the relational knowledge of Jesus and Jesus's knowledge of us seems to be a marker that that seems to be within this story one of the important things that helps us tell 
because these people, they were self-deceived. They thought they were striving rightly. They thought they were godly. You know, they would have, they would have, if you'd have sent them the questionnaire, are you a godly person? Are you, are you pursuing Yahweh's righteousness? You know, they would have ticked all the boxes. Yes, yes, yes. But Jesus is like, no, you're missing it. So the risk of self-deception is in this story as well. But the, the like knowing you, like the relational connection cries out then from the story. It's like, okay, that's the difference between the people. Because they, they probably, the- even if it had said, like, have you found a narrow door? They would have ticked the box. Yeah, yeah, I think I have. Right. But knowing what the narrow door is, is a critical question. And that's where this like relational knowledge of seems to be a key ingredient. And also key is the repentant heart. I think, you know, bringing mm-hmm. that theme throughout and into here, yeah. I mean, perhaps that's the main thing. The p- repentant heart is the prerequisite to even being able to find the narrow door. Yeah, and, especially um, especially given that if we map this warning onto the beginning of the chapter, mm-hmm. they, you know, how what was their striving? They weren't striving. The narrow door for them was repentance, but they were striving to have comparative righteousness. Rather than they were, they were, stri- they were striving, mm-hmm. like, can I feel safe because I'm better than them? And Jesus mm-hmm. is like, that's not the safety you're supposed to strive for. The narrow door safety is that you're safe no matter what. Yeah. And so, yeah. The, the, this that's is such a difference. big question. And, and like literally every chapter of Luke, there's probably going to be some aspect of something Jesus says that gives us another angle on answering this question because God is so interested in this question it's such a big Mm. part of jesus's mission and what he's teaching about right and and this is where i find the end of the chapter so profoundly important uh and just to sort of skate over it but to pull out the the important thing is uh they warn jesus hey herod wants to kill you and jesus is like nah i'm not fussed about him i've got like do that to do Um, and then he talks about Jerusalem and he talks about them missing it. And he, he laments over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that, that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So he's foreseeing his own rejection, but Luke is putting this next to people who maybe all of us, they've heard this warning and are like, am I missing the narrow door? Have I actually, you know, mm. would Jesus say to me, I don't know you? Am I on the wrong side? Have I not entered in? You know, oh man, what's God's heart? Is he, if he like leans out the door and looks down and finds me 20 feet away, is he just going to be like, you jerk, get out of here? Like, what's his heart towards those who are missing it? Like Jerusalem's missing it. So he laments, he's actually saddened by their rejection. And when people reject me, yeah, it makes me sad too. And you know, well, you know what it makes me want to do? Lash out. It makes me want to hurt back. It makes me want to reject. It makes me want to protect myself from saying, you're not a safe person. I can't interact with you because you reject me. And that's just, it's, it's toxic. Right? I, have, I have so many different responses to rejection. And then Jesus, he, he laments, he's saddened 
And then the second half of what he said is so important. He says, because mm. I would fill in the sentence of like, how often did I want to slap you upside the head? Or how often mm-hmm. did I want to just yeah. move you to the other side of the world away from me? How often did I want right. to separate from you so you could stop rejecting me? But no, mm. Jesus said, how often did I want to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing? So mm. even in the face of unwillingness, God's heart is, I want to gather you and protect you and save you. Which just adds a whole different tone to this warning, right? Yeah. That God, it is a narrow door, but God doesn't, he's not trying to hide the narrow door. He's trying to gather people towards it. And you're rejecting, yeah. like, it's not going to stand in the way of God keeping wanting to do this. But if you are not willing, God is not going to force you. And all of a sudden, repentance joins up with the end of the chapter. Because repentance is where we say, I was not willing, but I want to open my will to you. I want to submit. Mm. It's a change of willingness. Repentance leads to a change of action, a change of character. But it, it, it begins with a change of willingness. And, and, and this is where then repentance breathes hope to anyone who feels like, I know I've got unwillingness in me. Does that mean like I'm not safe? Like, well, but you know, you, like the offer is to do something about that. Even yeah. unwillingness is not the end of the story because repentance, mm. the gracious offer of like, you can't fix yourself. But if you invite me in, I'll gather you. Like all of a sudden, you know, it breathes hope into our unwillingness. Otherwise, like apart from that, the gospel would be a story of you're broken, you're sinful, you're terrible. You can't do anything about it. Sorry, you'll not find the narrow door and Mm -hmm. you'll end up being one of the people that Jesus ends up Mm -hmm. saying, no, I never knew you. You, and, and you have no part in this kingdom. So it's so oh, important to, that's not what that the repentance saying. joins up with God's heart. And God's mm-hmm. heart to see us repent is not like, I want, like, it's really important that you honor me by just really pouring out tears and showing me you feel bad about the way you hurt me. Yeah. Like, repentance is not God's way of saying, show me that you're sorry. Repentance is God's way of saying, I really want to gather you. If you if you start repenting, we're going to be able to connect. And we're going to be able to connect mm. in the way that, that begins the journey of, I know you. You've talked to me. You've really talked to me. It, it's a, it creates a narrow door yeah. moment, like you say, Angela. So important and so beautiful, yeah. the beginning and end of this chapter. Yeah. Hmm. well there we go i mean this is a this is a long podcast so maybe we should finish you know on that tone of something really beautiful and so there you go lots of chat all all the other things we thought we might have time to talk about today (laughs) 
and we'll talk about another day, which is well, the fine. first five yeah. verses took a while. They but did. Okay. They did. So we hope that's so good. Worthy. We hope that fuels your interaction with reading this yeah. and and trying to respond to what Jesus has for you. And then, um, yeah, we're actually soon uh, going to be in Lent and the run up to Easter. So we're going to have a little shift um, into a different mode. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So look out for that coming soon. God bless. Mm-hmm.